Hello, wonderful people, listeners all over the world. Look, I have to say to you, it is two days to Christmas and uh, I'm still under house arrest by a civilian prime minister called Boris Johnson. And um, I am coping very, very well. Uh, thank you so much for all the downloads. It's been fantastic. And I hope wherever you are, you are looking forward to Christmas. You know, some people have said that Boris Johnson has canceled Christmas. Nah, he hasn't canceled Christmas. He's just canceled shopping. That's what he's done, stopped you from shopping. Look, I have someone who I admire, someone who inspires me is my next guest. And I can't believe it. You know, we're both what we call old comics. And when I arranged that I wanted her on my podcast, I'm not sure whether I forgot that it was happening, but I got an email at 6.30 to say, are we still on at seven o'clock? <laughs> And that's what happens to old comics. We tend to forget. You know, it's not like the assignments are set in. We just tend to forget. Look, let me not waste your time. Let me start by just talking to you about this wonderful comic. Her name is Lynn Ruth Miller, dubbed the Joan Rivers of fringe comedy. She is the poster girl for growing old. She started doing stage comedy when she was 70 years old. 70 years old. Most people are in, their, are in their home, as we know, in England. She started performing comedy at the age of 70 and has since received many accolades and recognitions. Look, when I was reading her bio, I just thought this feels like a thesis. A thesis, a PhD on age. She won the Time Out and Soho Theatre Award in 2014. 2015, gold comedian, old comedian finalist. Made the top 100 in the UK in Britain's Got Talent. One People's Choice in 2009, 2015 Liberty Award Leicester Comedy Festival, semi-finals in the SF International Comedy Competition and Star Brighton Fringe Festival in 2009, and finals in Bill Wall's Funniest Female Contest 2009. She's packed all this in since the age of 70. What are you doing if you're young and you haven't achieved this? You are a failure. I'm sorry, at 86, she has numerous comedy and five-star cabaret shows and has taught all over the world, all over the world. She is currently considered as the oldest performing stand-up female comedian on both sides of the Atlantic. Look, I could go on and on. It gives me great pleasure. You know, I feel I started performing comedy at the age of 45. You know, white young comics, they call me mate. Black young comics call me uncle. That's how they see me old. But you know, even I have some good news. I have been shortlisted for the um, silver stand-up comedy for Leicester Comedy Festival, and this is for people over 55. And I remember this guy coming to me to say, Abonjo, you are not 55. I said, yes, I am 55. You know what it is? Black people. Black people don't crack, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, can I please introduce you? Let me give the floor to Lynn Ruth Miller. Lynn, how are you? I am alive. And that is always a surprise. I am alive. I've had the virus. I've had the vaccine. I've had the vaccine. Mm -hmm. Really? I've did. Yes, yes. I've had the first vaccine. How was it? Uh, people ask me why I did it because I believe I believe this is overkill. All this pandemic business is overkill. I believe it is. However, it makes other people feel safe and it makes me feel safer if we have the vaccine. It's that issue of whether you vaccinate your children, whether you give your children shots. 
And I mean, if you don't want to keep your children, then you don't give them immunization. But mm -hmm. if you want them around, you do it. But you do it not just for your children, but for the other children in the in the in the in the schoolroom. So I did it not just for me, but for the other people in the cemetery. Yeah, that is very nice and kind of you to do that. Do you feel younger as a result? Is that what is making you feel so energetic and young? No, what's making me feel energetic and young is comedy. Okay, good. And we're going and to talk about that. That's what it is. Yeah. I I, go on. You know, I do not feel... I mean, when I took the shot, it was for people that were over 80. And I have never been anywhere where there were that many people my age. And I mean, you know, the Zimmer frames and the people helping them and the canes and the crutches and the oxygen tanks and the dialysis machines and I was in the middle of a, 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 a an NHS uh, emergency ward instead of just but people my age seem to be much older yeah, I, I've noticed that about me too. Comedy makes you younger, doesn't it? Comedy just makes you feel really young. You know, mainly now I'm being serious because you're you're not talking to your generation. Mm. You're well, you might be, but I'm definitely not because my generation is deaf. My generation is so I can't uh, I can't do that. But I. Um, I'm I'm not talking I'm talking to people that are could be my grandchildren. Yeah. Because I don't think you realize you could be my grandchild. You 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 you're old enough to be my grandmother. That's I'm old. <laughs> because uh, people my age their children are 60. Yeah. 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 You know what's really interesting is I've never ever given it any thought is what you said about when you're on stage and your audiences are younger than you. And these are, you know, you're absolutely right. It's the same for me. I don't, at times I see my mates there, but at times I'm addressing younger people and it's just amazing. It's a lovely, as far as I'm concerned, it's a lovely feeling. I just don't think that there should be ageism in comedy. You should wake up and do what you need to do. But the thing that I am trying to say is that my job as a comedian is to talk, is to say things they 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 can relate to. Yeah. So in order to do that, and you do the same, I'm relating to those things mm -hmm. instead of what older people are relating to, mm -hmm. which I think is the latest hip replacement or something. But I'm not. <laughs> I don't have that. So I've you're not, got. You're not ready for a hip replacement then. I'm not ready. I don't want it. I've got. I've got my originals. I'm keeping them. <laughs> yeah. Um. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're, we're on, and I don't want to say on their level in a patronizing way, we're in their world. Yeah. Because we're performers and our job is to give them what they paid for. Mm -hmm. We amuse them. And to do that, we have to be in their world. Yeah. We can't talk about a world that doesn't exist for them. Yeah. Don't you think it's a privilege that at this age of ours, uh, 55, 86, that just getting on stage and being able- 87. 87, oh, you're 87 now, wow. Oh, wow, wow. Well, yeah. What's the secret? 87. What is your secret? I know, three more years and I'm gonna get- What's your secret? Comedy. Okay, really? It's comedy and it really is 
that all the time. It's comedy. And actually, it actually isn't that. It's having something to, I, when I wake up in the morning, I've got things to do yeah. that interest me and that I love. Yeah. It still shocks me. Uh, for example, I have a friend who is uh, in her 60s, and she, uh, when the second lockdown happened, she's American, she left. She said, I can't take, I can't take another uh, three months of sitting and staring at the TV, the TV screen. I don't have time to watch television. Yeah. I've written a book, a book, a book. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Well, yeah, nice. There it is, getting the last laugh. Yeah. Um, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm writing another show. I'm, I'm doing Zoom comedy. You're doing Zoom podcast? <laughs> yeah, I'm doing this. Uh, doing lots of podcasts. I've done more podcasts, I think, since the lockdown than ever. I've written some songs about the lockdown. Wow. But I mean, the point is that people in there that are 87, they're not doing what I'm doing. They're waiting for their grandchildren to call. They're waiting for someone to do their shopping. But they're waiting they're to waiting, die. <laughs> they're waiting to die. I'm, I'm, I'm not. Wow. I don't have. My concern is getting it all done. Yeah. Wow, wow. So the, the, what you're basically saying is you've got to keep yourself busy. That's what that's what makes you. That sounds like busy, busy. I'm yeah. doing what I love. Someone yeah. said to me, I've often said that every job I've ever had, remember, I mean, I was 70 when I started this, every job I've ever had, I've loved. Yeah. I've loved it. And someone said, what was the difference between that and when you started comedy? I said, the rest of them were jobs. <laughs> this this is my life. Mm, mm, mm. And, and it's your life too. Yeah. We live. Go on. I mean, when, we, when I walk down the street, I mean, you can always tell a comedian, when I walk down the street, if anyone takes out their phone, I immediately pose. <laughs> just, there I am. Yeah, just in case it's me. I want to. Tell, uh, me. tell me. I'm tell me. Tell me. You started comedy at the age of 70. Why at the age of 70? What, what, what got you People to start doing that? Yes. I'm a journalist. I have a master's degree in journalism. Okay. And I've never gotten a job in a newspaper. I've never gotten a job in a newspaper. And that's what I want. And I, um, I still would like a job in a newspaper. Anybody need a columnist? Here I am. Uh, and I, I, I had been, I've also written books besides this book. I've written I think 16 books all together, but I was promoting one of my books and at the end of the book promotion, and this is in California okay. where you drive everything, and promotion, I would, um, I would tell jokes, the kind of jokes that years ago you used to get on the internet. I don't get them so much anymore. Maybe other people do, but you know, a grasshopper walked into a bar, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And I, tell those jokes if anybody ever wants to wants to do uh, an hour long thing <laughs> i can go i can tell those jokes forever I, uh, so after i promoted the books i was telling the jokes and and they would always ask me back to tell more jokes and i would say no i want to buy a book but they would never do that they would always just have me back for more jokes so i was surfing the net because this was 2003 yeah. i was surfing the net for more jokes because that's where you got them then. Mm -hmm. um, I found this thing that's at San Francisco Comedy College. Now this is something that really it has taken me years to understand. 
because I have, I have not had a television set since 1980, I was not aware that comedy per se was a career. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I'd seen like in the Today Show, the Tonight Show, Joan Rivers, mm-hmm. but I didn't think anybody made a career of it, mm-hmm. that anybody was doing hour-long shows or two-hour shows. I didn't think that's the only kind of comedy I really understood were were in the uh, sitcoms. Mm-hmm. Leave it to Beaver and and, and uh, um, oh God, what was it? Archie Bunker, um, the, which was very very funny. Um, Fibber McGee and Molly, that kind of thing, which we probably don't even know what I'm talking about. But they were half an hour shows on radio. Mm-hmm. But that was the comedy. That was what made us laugh. Jack Benny. Of the Jack Benny show, it was not stand up. Mm-hmm. There was a plot of the Mrs. Brown series. Mm-hmm. That's very much like the comedy that I understood. There, there, there's a plot. Mm-hmm. You know, she gets herself in trouble. I love mm-hmm. that series. It's very funny, and it's also very fifties. Mm-hmm. It's very fifties. It's very funny. So how um, did you make how did you make that elevation from? When I was surfing the net and I saw a thing called San Francisco Comedy College. Mm-hmm. Of all the ridiculous that's like like a like taking a course in dog walking mm-hmm. you probably could do it now but a class in proper dog walking that that would that would be the same kind of ridiculous thing i i would think or how uh, how to um how, how to put on pantyhose this is a class <laughs> it was ridiculous it didn't make sense so i thought this guy is charging tuition mm-hmm. for something that is that doesn't exist. He's making he's ripping off these youngsters mm-hmm. because nobody listen to this for stupidity. Nobody makes money telling jokes. <laughs> so wrong. You know, and it was an established career. I didn't know that. So nobody. So I called him up and I said, uh, I would like to write about you because I'm a journalist and mm-hmm. I would like to uh, take the class and then write a story. And he called back and everybody thinks that this is a punchline, but it isn't. He called back in 10 minutes, because remember that we had message machines. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he called back in 10 minutes and he said, I just love small Jewish women. <laughs> I said, you have arrived. And his name is Curtis Matthews. And I don't know how far reaching your podcast is, but anybody in San Francisco, he is one of the best comedians I've ever heard, but he's not on stage anymore. He's too busy running this highly successful comedy college. Because, of course, comedy is a career, and, and it was then, too, but I didn't know it. Okay, so to answer your question about San Francisco, I have downloads from San Francisco, actually. Oh. I have lots of people listening to it, so it's, it, it, they, they'll definitely listen to this one. Um, well, I, so you went to school. Francisco Comedy College. Okay, okay. So you went to school, and then what happened after that? Was it just getting on stage? Well, also, picture this. I am 70. I lead a very isolated life. Mm -hmm. I had three dogs and two cats. I had two public uh, public access television uh, shows. Mm -hmm. That means I wasn't paid. Mm -hmm. Two public access television shows where I interviewed people, mm-hmm. but I lived alone. So I never met anyone and I was extremely poor, extremely poor. So I never did anything like go out for lunch or 
go to a go to a theater. I never ever go to a movie. No, I don't. I didn't have that. I only had enough money to eat and drive. That was it, and pay the mortgage, and that was it. And so I was leading an extremely isolated life, and the only people I talked to were people I interviewed, like mm -hmm. you're interviewing me. Mm -hmm. Then I walk into this class. They're 19 and, oh, the 18, 19-year-olds, there were maybe four of them. There were maybe five of them and me. It was a really small class. And they were adorable. I thought they were absolutely adorable. I mean, you know, they looked like they were infants. They were adorable. And, and, and comedy, the comedy class was very much like consciousness raising because Curtis tries, which is part of my problem now, tries to get you to tell comedy from your life. In other words, you're a character. Mm -hmm. You're a character. I'm me. And he was trying to get all of us to do comedy from our lives. Well, when you're 18 and 19 year old, years old, your comedy is that your mother said no to something or the <laughs> friend didn't call back or they swiped left on Tinder. I mean, eh. and Tinder wasn't even there then. But I mean, it was that kind of <laughs> And I... Mine was really funny because I, you know, because I don't always see things. I walk into the wrong places. You know, funny. I make mistakes, and so, so I had something to say. And I remember when I walked in, and Curtis, because the one thing Curtis does not do is 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 take advantage of these people. I mean, people should all know he does not. He gives them every kind of extra help and oh, everything. And the, the college has become very big, but at that time it was small. Um, and, and when I walked in, I, I made some remark about, is this where I have to have a, I have to be a smart mouth or something? And he said to me, he said, I'm not going to be able to teach you anything. But he did. He taught me a lot. Mm -hmm. The first thing he taught me is that there's a profession out there called comedy. I didn't know that. And the second thing he taught me was how to construct a joke. And that is the mistake I see very often in all the comedy shows I do now, Lovey, yeah. I see very often you do a comment, you do a character, so you can do a monologue. Mm -hmm. But comedians that are just up there to do stand up need to know the construction of a joke, and they do not. Mm -hmm. But I do. Ooh, I, nice. You've been taught well. Okay, cool. Cool. And, and also, I believe, and I don't know whether you believe this. I believe anybody can learn the craft of comedy, but they will never be great unless they have the art. And I believe the art is, it's, it has to come naturally to you. You have to be the kind of person that sees the funny. Mm -hmm. And I believe, and you can argue with me on that, this one too, that minorities are better equipped to be comedians. Because when you are oppressed, when people make judgments about you, mm -hmm. and I'm Jewish, when you, so Jeremy Corbyn, watch out. When, when people. <laughs> He's my friend, people, by the way. He loves dictators. <laughs> the Jews, the Jews got back at him. Yeah. But I, and I do not, for the record, I do not believe he's an anti-Semite. Well, I don't I, either. I don't either. But that's a different subject. Yeah. He's a beautiful man. But anyway. <laughs> Uh, in order to fight back against prejudice that you cannot help, uh, you should read um, Arundhati Roy. Mm -hmm. She talks about the, the India and Pakistan and the hatred 
uh, in the little countries that, that people always remember which countries they are. I can't. His her latest novel is about another country. Help! It's it's who you are, mm -hmm. and 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 in order to combat it, you either can fight, mm -hmm. which not believe in i'm sorry i know feminists militant feminists think i'm wrong i do not believe in it do not fight instead you combat it with with humor yeah. you show people how ridiculous they are mm -hmm. and i believe that and i have so i believe that minorities are better equipped uh to do comedy and i'm going to tell you about my favorite black comedian who by the way is a lawyer on death row she's not a Oh, Andre the Wonder Woman, she's my hero. She's my ideal of a perfect human being. Anyhow, she went to Radcliffe, and then I think she went, she went to Columbia Law School, some marvelous law school, and she's the most educated, most intelligent human being, but she's also a stand-up comedian, and she's very funny. She's very funny. And one of the things she says is, when I do comedy for white people, and she doesn't fuss around, she's, I'm black. When I do comedy for white people, and they don't like it. They're very polite. But when you do comedy for black people and they don't like it, they follow you out to the parking lot. <laughs> and to unbelievably funny. And then the other thing, yeah, she's marvelous. She's, I, I quote her all the time. The other thing she is, is in comedy, we can point to you and tell you that you're being racist and sexist mm -hmm. if we do it in a joke. Mm -hmm. And she followed a comedian whose name is Betsy Salkin and is wonderful and is from LA uh, and is marvelous. And I also love her. And Betsy, and part of Betsy, Betsy's act is to chew a, a bunch of crackers. She's yeah. imitating a muskrat. Mm -hmm. She's imitating a muskrat. And then she spits it all over the stage. And Andre followed her. So before she got on stage, Andre was sweeping with a brush and with a broom. And then she turned to the audience and she said, when I think of how much money I spent on my education so I wouldn't have to pick up after white people, <laughs> you know, it's, and she's on a comedy stage. It's, it's, she can do it. And, 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 and I can do jokes by the way we talk, just like black people can also, by the way we talk, for example, uh, if you say to me, how are you? I said to you, don't ask. That is, <laughs> that is Jewish. And my friend Carla Clay, who is also black, is, is, works at the Lost and Found in the airport. All right, if you're from San Francisco, she's at the Lost and Found. And her joke, she has many jokes, but her joke that I love is, I sit under a great big sign that says lost and found, huge sign, lost and found. And people will come up to me all the time and they'll say, is this a lost and found? <laughs> I'm sorry, I find it. But it, only she can do it. I could do it and it wouldn't be funny. But if you would see the expression on her face, only she can do it. She's like, yeah. is this? Okay, I got, I got some questions for you based on what you said so far. So what's the name of this black comedian you were referring to is on death row? Uh, Andre the Wonder Woman. Okay. She's absolutely marvelous. She's one of the best comedians in the world. Okay. I don't know why on every TV show. I know why, because she's defending people on death row. Okay. Uh, second question is you spoke about the craft of comedy and, and that it's an art. What's your view about um, 
naturally funny comedians it's an the, the naturally funny comedians uh you you to make it into into a, a an act yeah you need discipline mm -hmm. um there, there there are people that are naturally funny do you know david lewis he's naturally funny mm -hmm. absolutely so funny at this point in his life he does not have a set uh, people have to understand what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. You put him up for 10 minutes, and he really doesn't have jokes. He mm -hmm. riffs from the audience. Mm -hmm. He's unbelievably funny. But until he has a body of disciplined material, mm -hmm. he's not going to go beyond where he is. He's and, they, and I'll tell you, he's funnier than, oh, many of the people I see on TV. He's much funnier. Um, he puts on shows and he's very good at that and he I, he'll have me headline and throughout the show every now and then he'll stop and he'll say will someone wake up lynn ruth or, <laughs> i think lynn ruth's hip has just arrived you know i mean it's really so funny <laughs> he's marvelous and and he does also political snide he's absolutely naturally funny mm -hmm. and i uh, people but you've got to that's the art of comedy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The craft is creating a set with a curve, mm -hmm. with callbacks, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. with callbacks, mm -hmm. with, um, with setup and punch, mm -hmm. and not too much talking in between. Mm -hmm. when you do a character, you are not doing. You're going to shoot me, but you are not doing real stand-up. You're sure. Well, we can. We can, That's really interesting. Um, and. We, uh, um, what's her name? Come on, Sam. <gasps> She's marvelous. She does an Essex girl. She does mm -hmm. an Essex. Absolutely divine. Mm -hmm. But that isn't really stand up mm -hmm. what she's doing. But mm -hmm. she is. I'm, I'm not as funny as she is. That's mm -hmm. like that. So, so do you think the character comedians, you think they hide behind the prop? Or do you think yeah. they hide? That's, is that yeah. what you think? Okay. No, that's okay. That's an art in itself. Yeah in itself i can't do that mm. uh, what is it ivor dembina said to me you don't have to tell them you're old they know <laughs> thank you thank you very much um yeah okay. but what you're doing is a is an art in itself it's wonderful yeah. uh what i'm doing is making jokes of 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 a little old lady living in london yeah tell me tell me why and you go on living in london, knows what i'm talking about what is the one that i do of course this was in america but it works here too it's when i drive which of course i don't drive here mm -hmm. uh as soon as i get on the in the car i put on the turn signal every driver in the world has seen those cars with the turn signal going and going and mm -hmm. going thinking it's some little old bitch that can't realize because they can't hear they can't hear the that that means something to them because they're looking at a face that could do it mm. what made you leave the us to come to the uk i got a job oh i thought you were going to say you found a man but okay no, tell me more no, <laughs> no. I, I got a job bill smith who was the producer of my winning cabaret the cabaret that won best cabaret of the edinburgh festival mm -hmm offered me a job in, in his TV station uh, in Brighton, which is called The Latest TV. Okay. And, and I was 80. And I uh, had been, in 2008, I was a victim of that financial crisis. Oh, well, yeah. 
tripled my mortgage and triple. I don't believe it was four times. It was three times what it was originally. And I couldn't afford it. I, I, there was no way I could pay it. I, all I could pay was the mortgage that I had originally and they tripled it. And it took me 2008 and I moved here in 2014. I fought Wells Fargo that entire time. Mm. I went to court, I did everything so that I could keep my house. And then when Bill offered me a job, I thought to myself, you know, pretty soon that bank is gonna win. I don't know, <laughs> I'm doing really well. But, uh, but pretty soon they're going to win because remember, I couldn't hire lawyers and mm. I couldn't hire an advocate. I had no money mm. and, and I couldn't pay the mortgage. Um, and I thought, you know, I can do this for maybe another year, but they were just champing at the bit to get me out of that house. I hadn't paid the mortgage. Mm. I, uh, 2008 is when it erupted and it started in uh, something like 2010, I stopped paying the mortgage mm -hmm. because I get them to listen to me. Mm -hmm. I kept paying and trying, and they wouldn't listen. I thought, okay, I'll stop paying you, then you'll listen. Mm -hmm. And what they did is they put me on a um, a machine that does automatic calls. Mm -hmm. And every morning at 10, they would call, but then I got them to stop that. But uh, but that was that was awful too. But um, so I figured, listen, I have nothing to lose. It's, it's called being between a rock and a hard place. Uh, Wells Fargo's gonna win in a year, Bill is offering me a job and a visa. He offered me a visa. And uh, I never, this is something, it was verbal because he does not use computers. Mm -hmm. So I never got it in writing. It would have changed. <laughs> because when I got there, I got the job, he immediately cut my salary, immediately. Oh, and then he never did get the visa. Okay. And I him credit that he tried but when he realized how expensive you can't just sponsor someone in Britain you have to have a business and you have to prove that you're hiring people that hiring people doing something mm. that nobody in Britain can do mm. and when he realized he had to do that he just stopped trying and here I am with no house I I got out of the house the house they sold the house mm -hmm. I didn't and I had no place to go. I had no money other than the money that that that, that uh, he was supposed to be paying me. And um, and I thought to myself, well, you can do one of two things: you can go back to California, uh, or you can uh, stay here and make a life. And so what I did was stay here and make a life. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which do you prefer? Because you've had you've had the opportunity to perform comedy in the US and in the UK. So both and which which do you prefer? Which 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 is the best? I give a lot of answers to this, but I but the years have changed my mind. Funny is funny. Mm -hmm. I don't care because remember I, I do comedy all over the world. Mm -hmm. Wherever I go. It's exactly the same. People will say to me, oh, what was it like in Jakarta? Well, it was just exactly like it is at, at uh, Top Secret. Yeah. You sit there and wait, go up, do your comedy, get off the stage and the next guy goes up. <laughs> <laughs> like, or doing the show like I do an angel. You get up, you do your whole show, someone tells you to put money in a basket, you go home. You go That's home. It's so different. 
And it was the same in America. And I used to say, oh, it's different. But comedy has changed since I started. Mm -hmm. Whereas comedy, when I began and what Curtis taught us were short setups and fast punchlines mm -hmm. with taglines. Mm -hmm. What people do now are much more storytelling. Don't you find that? Yeah. Much yeah. more storytelling. Yeah. Uh, in theory, funny stories or ridiculous stories, mm -hmm. stories, stories with unexpected endings. Mm -hmm. Mine was a sentence with an unexpected ending. The one that I do, uh, that that opens my set now, is I'm the bitch that takes your seat on the bus. Mm -hmm. That's short. Most of the comedians that I do comedy with do not do those short, punchy... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... That doesn't mean they're not bad. Yeah. And, and they also have segments that fit together. I just did a comedy in Chelmsford. And the guy that was the opener, and, and I don't remember his name, but he had beautiful jokes, mm -hmm. but it was a story. Da-da-da-da-da-da, but it had a plot. Yeah. And so I did this, da-da-da-da, mm -hmm. but we're still in the same scene, in the same, mm -hmm. I see that much more. You, I think you're being a bit diplomatic uh, in terms of comparing Britain to America, because I hear a lot. I don't. I have no view to be honest with you. But I, because I haven't really had experience of performing per se in in America. But I hear that people believe that American comics are better than English comics. Mm -mm. If anything, British comics are funnier. And I'll tell you who who are funnier, not the ones you see on TV. That's mm -hmm. a different animal. Are the women? Mm -hmm. Women are unbelievably funny compared to American women. Very few, except the very top, and me, and me, of course, <laughs> very are really funny because they're all trying to be comedians like men. Mm. But in Britain, I, there are just so many funny women, okay. really funny women. And it's because they've mastered the craft of doing something about their lives. Mm -hmm. But because as soon as they start trying to be comics like men, they're, they're, they lose you. Mm -hmm. As everyone knows, it's just jokes. It's not real. <laughs> and they do jokes about their lives. God, I wish I could remember the woman that came on, that came on before me at, at this A comedy, and I don't remember her name, but I remember she's a very big woman. She's mm -hmm. very big. And she does comedy about size. And what was the one I love? She says, uh, uh, people don't realize uh, how difficult it is for me to buy clothes or something like that. She says, nobody worries about their apron size. But <laughs> she can't get um, She's excellent. But also, there is a narrative there. My jokes do not have a narrative. They have little segments, but they're mostly set up punch. And this is the thing that I go back to you with. Those kind of jokes that I do work. Mm -hmm. They work anywhere. Mm -hmm. Your narrative one has to have an audience that buys into what you're saying. Same. Yeah. 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 I don't need that. I just need them to listen. Mm -hmm. and, 
and I'm going to, I'm going to hit them with a joke. Mm -hmm. And if they don't like that joke, another one's coming mm -hmm. really fast. Mm -hmm. You, 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 I, I have to say to you, I have been, I've never really understood, um, when people, when audiences, there's certain audiences who say, oh, women are not funny. I've been on bills where women, where, I've been on bills where women's are funnier than me. You know, they, they do better. <laughs> but I don't understand where that's come from. Of course women are funny. Think back to your family. Mm. Who was the funniest person in your family? It was your mother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your mother was making cracks all the time. Yeah, yeah. And it goes back to why what I said makes comedy. Mm. Because women at least in my generation, were, we were servants. My mother was cooking and cleaning. She had thoughts, she mm -hmm. had ideas, and, and she couldn't get them out. Mm -hmm. So the frustration comes out in smart remarks and funny mm -hmm. remarks. And, and, uh, and she was, my mother was very, very funny. Mm -hmm. uh, I do not get my comedy from my father at all. It was my mother. <laughs> very funny, she had, Crazy, and it was usually about other people. We would, you know, we make fun of our friends, yeah. but um, and our relatives. Oh my God, we always make fun of our relatives. Um, and and it was and it was fun, and 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 of our the dogs and the whole the family. Uh, I was just talking today. I was doing a thing about my aunt had a canary that used to molt, mm -hmm. and when it molted, which canaries do, it would get very tired. Mm -hmm. So to pep it up. She'd feed it that Jack Daniels. Mm -hmm. so, so we all had a, a riot, you know, Tweety's drunk again. The, the, the canary is slamming himself against the cage. Mm -hmm. And one day he knocked himself out. I mean, you know, we're laughing about that. We, we made jokes about that. Uh, the other thing is, no, I don't know. I think this is a generational thing. Mm -hmm. In my house, we sat around the kitchen table. Mm-hmm. I don't think there was someone always there. Mm -hmm. There was always someone at that kitchen table, mm -hmm. and we talked. Yeah. We 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 knew how to entertain mm -hmm. ourselves. Mm -hmm. We knew the art of conversation. Mm -hmm. uh, this is why I am so terribly upset about this pandemic mm -hmm. because it's pulling us away, and we're not very good at it anymore anyway. And it's pulling us away from the art of conversation. Yeah, definitely. I think, I think of, that's... One of many reasons why I set up the podcast and I want to talk to people that I <laughs> I feel I need to talk to. Uh, before we go into the subject I want us to discuss, um, what... That's <laughs> um, we haven't gotten to the subject you want to discuss. Oh yeah, we haven't, we haven't. But I'm enjoying, I'm enjoying the conversation. You told me you were going to, you told me this was going to happen anyway. <laughs> <laughs> the question I the question I was going to ask you: Have you what what are the challenges that you you faced in the um, comedy industry in the UK? Have you faced um, issues around age and your gender? Immense, immense, immense. Uh, I always I attack this poor man all the time. But down at the comedy store, I did free twenty. You know, they give you ten minutes for nothing. You know, yeah. where they pay you. And I kill whenever I go there. Mm -hmm. I do not because I'm so funny. I wish because the last time I was there, I remember I felt like I was off. I felt like I was mm -hmm. off. They see somebody my age up there talking. They think that's the best thing I've ever seen because mm -hmm. someday I'll be able to do that. Mm -hmm. That's what I think. so. I'm exceptionally successful at mm -hmm. the comedy. Store. 
and after uh, you do a set, when Dan, when Don, that's the guy that runs it, thinks that you're now on the brink of maybe they're going to pay you something, mm -hmm. I called you back in his office, and he said to me, I oh, said no, I said all you ever talk about is being old, and I thought. <laughs> You know, it would be really hard for me to get up there and talk about being young <laughs> because I'm not. Mm -hmm. And as we walked out, and he had just informed me that my set was a failure, mm -hmm. as we walked out, there must have been 20 people that the minute they saw me mm -hmm. came running up because I'm an inspiration to them. Mm -hmm. That isn't why I want them to like me, but that's what happened. Yeah. So any major comedy club here will not book me. That's it. They will not. But there's a thing called, I always want to call it the back door, but that's being funny. Mm. The backyard. Yeah. He will not. He's right around the corner from me. It would be so nice to once go do a show in London where I didn't have to travel for an hour mm -hmm. and a half. Mm -hmm. to get there in 15 minutes. I, ah, he, he, he ignores me completely. Mm. And the British, British, as opposed to America, don't say anything. They just ignore you. Now, in America... I, there was a place called, you'll love the name, Rooster Tea Feathers. Yeah. And the audience is all Stanford graduates. And I don't know whether anybody knows about Stanford University. You should. It's one of the finest universities in America. And I am a graduate of Stanford University. Mm. And I worked in their uh, arts department for some time. And I have written for their magazine. So when I do comedy there, it's what I was talking about way at the beginning. Mm -hmm. I'm on their page. Mm -hmm. They know me. I know them. I can make jokes about Stanford University. Nobody else can make it because they aren't smart enough to have gone there. Mm -hmm. But all my audience is there. We know about the hidden crazy stuff that goes on at Tresseter. You wouldn't know what I'm talking about. I can do jokes there. And I wipe up the room. And the woman that runs it wrote me and said, "We don't." I said, well, now that I've done 10 shows for you for nothing, I think maybe it's time for me to be a feature. And she wrote back and she said, we don't want you at Rooster Tree Feathers. Please don't okay. eat. Okay. okay. But do you, do, do you think that, in short, I, at times I think that if, if a comedy promoter is not booking you, it's because you're not their required taste? No, that, that uh, there's a woman that does the punchline in San Francisco. Yeah, who does not think I am funny, mm. but I she does not, and she will not elevate me to anything but the lowest level. Yeah, but she's audience reaction, and and Molly is not stupid, and she says they like her. Mm -hmm. I'm booking, her, and she does not think I'm funny. I understand that she does yeah. not. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. But she will book me because of that. They think she's funny. Uh, Heather, which is the name of the Brewster T. Feathers woman, mm. uh, didn't care. She didn't care. She did not want an old woman on the on mm. the bill. Mm. He takes on like like um, Mark Rothman, absolutely lovely man. Mm -hmm. He books very often at Top Secret, but he will not let me go into the twenty minute sets. Mm -hmm. If you've ever seen me at Top Secret, and anybody that's listening, that's that's one of the most gratifying places for me to do comedy. Yeah. They pull me out. <laughs> yeah. I, they, they, I, I walk off the stage and 20 people are after me. Yeah. They want to tell me how wonderful I was. Yeah. And I, I assure you I wasn't that wonderful. It was very lovely. Yeah. But the point is, I said to Mark, why won't you give me 20 minutes? And he will never answer. 
he won't because he doesn't want on the bill he doesn't want a, 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 a an old woman mm. Mm. never okay let me let me let me Remember, ask, go on. something else that the people forget comedy is a business yeah mark has done a very good job mm. he knows his audience he he and and he puts on the stage what they he thinks they want to see yeah i and i hear you and um yeah it, it is a it, it is a business and uh, they've got got their product right and they deliver the service that's the way i see it uh, i also see I, I think for me it took me a while and then to really understand that you might smash a gig and the audiences love you just like just like you said, they come running to you, boom, boom, boy. It doesn't mean you're going to get rebooked. And I've always said to <laughs> Isn't that hard for you? That's very hard for me. No, we no, did no, it. no. I've, got, I've, got, I've gotten used to it because on the basis that I see it as, okay, fine, I'm building my audience. So I might not even go back to that club, but I've got audiences who love me and who love my act. And I could use that as a way of just building my audience and if you get my drift, that's the way I'm looking at it. I don't feel that. I get extremely insulted when I do that well. Uh, the boat show is a perfect example. I do so well, but I want to get. I don't want to forget what I was going to say. Uh, the boat show is a perfect example. They don't book me because there are other people that have had gotten better publicity, mm -hmm. and I can understand this. So they can put this on the bill. There's uh, an Indian woman uh, who is not funny at all, and <laughs> they. They book her because she's got a PR person that's done some PR for her. Yeah. And, and so her name, they've seen her name or and they put her on. Yeah. Whereas nobody's seen my name. People, although I have to say that I was in Putney, of all places, waiting for the late train, mm -hmm. the overground. When this man looked at me and he said to me, Lynn, Lynn Ruth Miller. And I thought, oh, in London, this <laughs> I want to say that there is one place that does rebook us when we do well, and it's um, uh, you and I did the gig together. Oh, and and it's what is it? Spears. Yes. It's yes. Spears yes. And it's, uh, uh, yeah. Rachel and yeah. Well, who's the other one? Oh, I can't I, remember her name. Uh, Rachel. We, yeah. I just love her, and I'm just blocking it because. I, but it's Rachel and. Oh Christ! They'll and I was doing a gig with you, and I saw you absolutely tear the place apart. It was yeah. so funny. It was it was wonderful, but I, I've had I've had gigs like that, and then I don't get rebooked, not by the comedy promoter, but by other comedy promoters. Rebook you? Sorry. Rebook you, Rachel for Spears comedy. What's no, 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 Spe no Spe we, we were we were supposed to have Joy. That's her name, Joy. Yeah, that's we, the. Well, Spares was Spares was supposed to book me for a gig in October, but it got cancelled because of pan pandemic. But the point I was going to make is this: that I can understand why some comedy promoters will choose comics who have higher profile or higher publicity because they want bombs and sits. They want bombs and sits. They want bombs and sits. Yeah. Names. Why do you think Donald Trump won? Because. 48% of the people in America believed what he said? No, because 50% of the voting public don't even read the newspaper. They go and say, oh, yeah, I know that name. Yeah. I'll vote. <laughs> and, and they've got a point. And this, this Indian woman 
who is a goddess that's ghastly, but she's got a good PR person that got her on television. So now people say, oh, I recognize that name. Uh, and I can give you a few more names, but, but I'll probably get, probably get crucified. But they, they recognize the name. So they think, yes, I know them, and they'll come back. My, they don't see, Kate Copstick has done a beautiful job for both of us. Mm -hmm. But our, our, our names are not on the television screen where people are looking all the time. They're not in, in a column in a newspaper where people are reading. Mm -hmm. on the, on the, you have to get into a, a column on one of the papers that are on the tube, otherwise okay. you might <laughs> uh, we're not We're not a name that people recognize. Mm -hmm. And so, so, so that's why these people don't book us. But, but and it they, hasn't stopped you though. It hasn't stopped you doing comedy. Well, it hasn't stopped me, of course not. Exactly, exactly, exactly. And that's what I think that's what really matters. Um, let's move on. Let's move on. And and because the, the title of the podcast is If Comedians Rule the World. And I know you warned me that we were going to talk for as long as it took. <laughs> and, yeah. So for me, um stop gonna shut up. <laughs> for me, it's it's based on your experience. And if you were the leader, because you nicely spoke about not in a good way when you just spoke about Donald Trump, but if you if you were the leader of the free world, or if you were, you know, I mean, Prime Minister of Great Britain or or, or President of the United States or President of any country, not, not left republic. The right age to go back and run for president of the United States. Well, the right well, well, Biden did it. Biden did it, <laughs> and good for him. Oh my God! Yeah. But um, if you, if you were, if you were leading a country, what would you, what would you do differently? What particular subject do you want to talk about in terms of if comedians rule the world? Choose a topic and just. I rule the world. Yeah. There would be. Health care for everyone. Mm -hmm. There would be a place for everyone to live. There would be food for everyone. Mm -hmm. There would be a joke every morning for breakfast. <laughs> joke for breakfast. I love that. But but apart from the joke for breakfast, a lot of what you said is what some politicians want to do. They want to give help, free health care. Uh, that you know, free education or education for everyone. But you know, my view, Lynn, is that it hasn't worked. It, it, if you look at Britain, for example, they always talk about the NHS. It doesn't matter who's in power. They talk about unemployment. In five years' time, whoever is going to win the next election is going to have a promise that oh, we will sort out the NHS. They've been doing that for the last sixty years. So, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, it doesn't. Democracy does not work. It's a virus. It's not working. It has to be a benevolent dictator. Yes, a like me. <laughs> That's you. Singapore has got it. Singapore has a benevolent dictator, has some of the craziest rules in the world. You're not supposed to, you can't buy chewing gum. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's, it's, uh, you can be publicly flogged. Mm -hmm. It has, yeah, Singapore, but those people are happy. Because there's no debate back and forth, back and forth. One guy says, no, this is the way it's going to be. Yeah. But that, that you judge a society by the way it treats its old and infirm, mm -hmm. its weakest members. I believe that. And there is a philosopher that nobody will know what I'm talking about, whose name is Myamides. Mm -hmm. And he says the greatest charity is to prevent poverty. Mm -hmm. And if I rule the world, 
I would prevent poverty and education for all also. Quality education. One of the things I think this pandemic has taught all you parents is why teachers are underpaid. <laughs> They've been their kids. I want teaching to be the highest paid thing, teaching. And I also believe, despite the fact that I want care for everyone, I believe that you should pay a small amount, very small, to go to a doctor. Because when I was in the emergency room in Edinburgh, when I broke my wrist, I think, you know, I'm breaking things all the time. I broke my wrist. <laughs> and said to me, some people come in every single day. Mm -hmm. And that is, first of all, keeping care from someone who really is sick, mm -hmm. except they are sick. They need, they need uh, comfort and they need a sense of being important. Mm -hmm. But if they had to pay even a pound, they would think twice before just running in all the time. And that would, that would be the only thing that, because I see that the NHS isn't working. No. The NHS is working in so many ways. And right now, terribly frightening for me, did you read about the 94-year-old woman who died of starvation during this pandemic because she was afraid to go out? Yeah. Yeah. told her to stay in mm. she didn't have anyone shopping for her mm. and she stayed in she was afraid she thought i'll walk outside i'll get it you know and this is this is what's really interesting because we've got porridge now who apparently has cancelled christmas i don't actually think he's cancelled christmas but what i have never really understood since i've lived in the united kingdom yeah what i've never really understood in the united kingdom is why do you have to wait until the end of the year before you see your family why can't you see them on a regular basis absolutely and and and, and that yeah and that and that that for me is where the issue is because you have neighbors who don't even talk to each other for nine months or eight ten months and then all of a sudden they send themselves christmas cards they don't know whether the neighbor next door has broken their hip you know you have older people who, as you're right, died of starvation. There are people who die. You never know that they're dead until you smell their rotten body. And this is supposed to be the sixth richest country in the world. Do you know what I'm saying? It's like, I feel like capitalism is a failure. It's, it's, it's lost. The country has lost its moral values. That's the way I see it. I agree. I agree. I think that's going to be my next song. <laughs> be reach out reach out connect connect yeah connect, uh, connect. when i walk down the street i walk down the street and and i will smile at people because americans smile at people mm. we're superficially we superficially love you mm. uh, we'll, we'll we'll smile at you we'll 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 say hey we're glad to see you but we'll never invite you over for dinner we're not going <laughs> to do that uh, but i smile at people and nobody smiles back they, they just look back. I think it's a huge loss, and this pandemic has exacerbated it. I do not believe, I, I, I believe that a lot of the hoopla about the pandemic is to hide the fact that we are about to leave the European Union without a deal. But that's just my thinking. Oh, I, heard, I hope you're not a conspiracy theorist, because what I heard as well, someone... Bad. Someone said to me that the only reason why there's COVID is because of the Brexit and the fact that the fact oh, that if, 
yeah. yeah. I just this, no, there's a we've got a comedian, you'll know what his last name is. His name is Mark, and he's Indian, and he's really wonderfully intelligent. And I said to him, Why are they doing the, these emergency lockdowns? Mm -hmm. And he said, and I believe it's true, he said, because people are frightened, mm -hmm. and when they do the lockdown, it makes them feel the government is doing something about it. I, it's it's I and I thought you know you're right you're right. Would you would you do anything differently if you were in charge in terms of COVID? Yes, I would. I would. I would. Uh, I would increase the ability to detect people who have it. Mm -hmm. I would um, not have done any kind of lockdown at all. I would have explained because I like to give people credit for a modicum of intelligence. Mm -hmm. I believe Sweden tried to do this. And as I talk, the president of Sweden said he made a mistake, but I don't think he did. <laughs> Up to them, it was there. Each person could make their decision. Mm -hmm. These are the things we think can help. Mm -hmm. Wash your hands, stay away, distance, wear a mask, which I mm -hmm. never do. Mm -hmm. uh, these are the things. Make up your mind. I believe that about safety belts. And mm. I went through the windshield of a car. So mm. don't tell me I don't know what it is. But <laughs> I, you need to be able to make up your mind whether you want to put on that safety belt. Mm. So when you get in the car that's in the driveway and want to just drive it into the garage, mm -hmm. you don't have that thing dinging like crazy. You just do it. I believe in giving people the respect of allowing them to make their own judgment. But to do that, you need to have a good education system in place. You can't do that with people who are afraid and who are angry. Mm -hmm. And that's why this system isn't working because the the education system isn't strong mm -hmm. enough. Mm -hmm. It's biased. Some people get better than others. Mm -hmm. uh, it broke my heart. Also, Andre the Wonder Woman says the same thing about death row. Andre says nobody would be on death row in the United States if they had money. Mm -hmm. That tore me apart. And if you listen to uh, Yuval Harari, mm -hmm. he says he says that that <laughs> there is a growing disparity between the rich and the poor, mm -hmm. and pretty soon the poor are going to be like serfs. Mm -hmm. They're not going to be able to afford anything, and the rich can buy their own genetic profile mm -hmm. they can buy their education they can and it becomes and you know there is a saying the rich get richer and the poor get children mm -hmm. uh, they can buy they can buy their children mm -hmm. they can buy vf and get the child they want with the with the genetic profile they want mm -hmm. people who are cleaning their streets waiting on them and cleaning their toilets are getting poorer and poorer and poorer. And, and th this is a crime. Mm -hmm. And I, this, is, this is a crime against humanity. And I, I'm not in charge, so I can't change. <laughs> okay, Lynn, uh, one more question and we shall end the show. You have a lot of experience. You've traveled around the world. Why hasn't um, Joe Biden invited you to his cabinet? Well, Joe Biden has a memory problem. <laughs> I don't think Joe Biden knows I exist. 
Uh, I don't think it has a memory. <laughs> a lot of statins, and he it just, I don't think he really know. I want to say this, though. Whoever's writing his speeches is doing a great job. No. He yeah. is, remember, I remember after Nixon. I remember mm. what happened. And, and 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 Gerald Ford did the same thing. Mm. He's trying to bring the country together, and please God, I hope he does. Poor Boris Johnson. I don't I don't have any hope that things can get better for him. You think? But there's a rumor. There's a rumor that he might resign next year. God love him. He wanted so badly to be prime minister, mm. and everything was against him. I mean, people have, people have all told me, no, he's a jerk, no, he's horrible, mm. but not one good thing happened for him. Mm. No, nothing fell in place. He was not happy about doing this re re restrictive stuff. He's right. Uh, there, there could have been a better way to do it. And again, you're saying, how would you have handled this COVID thing? I think much more with, with testing and much more with prevention. And I am a believer that your immunity system is what's going to keep you from getting the thing. Mm. Because I had it in March, and it was extremely mild. Mm. Because I, I have to say, the immune system of an elephant. Mm. Of an elephant. Look on that on that on that note. Um, <laughs> it's been fantastic. We've spent. I think you've beaten the record in terms of how long I've spent talking to a guest. Normally. <laughs> But it was interesting, wasn't it? Yeah, very, very interesting. I've, I've enjoyed it. You know, I did, and I've learned a lot in terms of your comedy experience. And I'm sure there are a number of comedians who listen to this podcast. So, you know, the very initial stages when we're talking about comedy and art and, and, and your experience and, and comparing it to the modern age of comedy, I think people are going to find that extremely useful. This is your opportunity to plug yourself. What what would you like my listeners? How if my listeners want to follow you or are interested in your work? Okay, so tell us about your book. My book is called Getting the Last Laugh. It does compare comedy in Britain and America. Uh, it tells you. Uh, it preaches persistence. It preaches persistence. I don't believe that there's anything else in this it tells you it does not paint me as a hero i'm not a hero but i'm a i'm a plugger i'm a, you know the story of the tortoise and the hare mm -hmm. yeah i'm i'm the tortoise the turtle i'm not the rabbit okay. uh, this is that story and if you're a comedian there is a set in here where I tell you why I place the comedy where I placed it, mm -hmm. what I do if the audience doesn't react, probably kill myself, and <laughs> what and how and how, because I maintain that a comedian owes its audience whether you're doing it as an open mic where people only paid you in your time mm -hmm. or they do it where they paid you with money, mm -hmm. and you've got to do two things. You have to appear to be just chatting. That's one. Mm. We have to be thinking, what comes next? And the third thing is you have to think, where am I going to go if it doesn't work? Mm. And that's and there is no such thing as a bad audience. I'm sorry, there is not. <laughs> Blame the audience. Blame the audience. <laughs>
Look, um, Lynn, it has been a pleasure. And uh, thank you so much for joining me. And uh, we survived it. We saw, survived well over one hour of wonderful, conver yeah, wonderful conversation. So folks, two old comics uh, having a chat. <laughs> one black, one Jew, and uh, different experiences. <laughs> you know that wonderful joke, Sammy Davis Jr. Tell who me. Was yeah, he was golfing Sammy Davis Jr. He, he was playing golf and they said, what's your handicap? He said, I'm a one-eyed black Jew. I don't need a handicap. So we don't, <laughs> we don't need a handicap. And so on that note, uh, thank you so much for listening. I will, be, I will be back with another guest. Thank you so much. Thank you, honey, so much. Did you enjoy that?